Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Lieutenant Colonel Jason Pike. He is a decorated combat veteran who served 31 years in the United States Army. He has earned more than 30 service awards and badges, serving overseas in five countries. And he has authored the book, A Soldier Against All Odds, to share his story. So he'll talk more about that, more about his life, his army experience. So thank you so much for your service, Jason, and for being here today on the podcast. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Yes, Sarah. Thank you. I'm honored to be on your show. I, I really am. A, I'm a very humble guy, and you'll you'll learn that pretty well. But uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah. The Soldier Against All Odds was a book that I have written, and it is about failures and fiascos and various crazy events. It's not necessarily a blood and guts memoir. It's about life in the military, from my end. And from what my perspective was, I think that's going to set this memoir a little bit up differently. And so, um, yeah, um, but yeah, you, 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 you just described a very good description of, uh, of my book and the ironic part about it is yes, I'm decorated, but I had many, 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 many failures, many screw ups. Some were my fault and some were not. So, Yeah. So why did you want to write this book about your experiences in the Army? Because everyone said, how did a dumbass like you do all this? Meaning that I was not an intellectual guy. I still ain't. I work on it, though. (laughs) I've got three college degrees, but I've got a learning disability. I'm a slow learner. I'm like maybe a 486 computer. My brain works. Uh, and, and, And... that everyone was asking, how did you do this? How did you get, how did you get out of that trouble? How did you get involved in this? And how did this happen? And at the time when all this was, so everyone's asking the same types of questions. If they weren't asking it, they were thinking it. And I, I, it was there. Uh, So, uh, so I kind of got lost in my thinking (laughs) right there, but uh, yes, go on and peg me again on something that, but no, that's, that's the reason I wrote it. Yeah. So what um, has this learning disability been like for you and what was schooling and then joining the military like with that uh, by your side? Well, it was diagnosed by professionals uh, that I had a problem three different times, even after I had a college degree, even after I had graduated from college. So, uh, yeah, and the, so it was first diagnosed. At Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, I failed the first grade, and it was my worst subjects are English and writing. And but I'm an author, go figure that one out. But that's the darn truth. And so uh, I know we were talking, we were talking backstage about uh, you talked about a plural or a compound or something. I, I don't, I don't know any of that stuff. I really don't. And uh, but um, no, it really, uh, it was, it was not a label of a. Uh, of a, a learn, they just said you you've got some issues, <laughs> you and you're going to fail the first grade, and uh, but we're not we don't have a whole lot of expectations on Jason, and I I I was not supposed to go to college. I mean, 
all of your viewers out there, I guarantee you most of them, you, there, there's an entrance test to the test to the Army called the SAT. I, I can probably guarantee you I made l- much much lower on that score than any most of your viewers. I can probably guarantee that. But uh, no, uh, it was this book could be summed up in just two words is never quit. And uh, I, my, that was taught to me by my father. But the book's dedicated to me. Uh, I dedicated the book to my father is what it is. And so uh, he was the one who instilled a lot of the never quit type of things in the uh, in the story, basically. Yeah. So then how is it that you ended up with three college degrees? <laughs> I've got a bachelor's from Clemson University, a master's from Clemson University. So I've got a ch- and I got another ba- uh, master's from uh, Colorado State University. That's a good question. Um, I've got a uh, I've got a chapter in there called "Where There's a Will, There's an A," as in the letter grade A, and I describe the events of how I went through methodically to try to get things into my thick skull and uh, little techniques and things uh, I picked up along the way. And uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, that is that. Exactly what you're saying. You're, the question you just asked is goes back to, to the reason I wrote the book, and that's just one of many questions. How in the world did you get three college degrees? And you, you know, and so yes, I had a methodical manner uh, described in the chapter of how I went through and was able to learn things uh, differently uh, and with different uh, uh, with different. I, I use different skills. One example would be. Uh, it would be recording, uh, recording like we're recording now, and I would record it, and I'd drive to school with a recording, eating while you were looking at notes. Like, use all your senses. Like, I, had to, I, had to, I had to use everything. So I would eat or I would drink something because that's a taste, and that's, a, you know, we've got five senses, right? So, and I would look at something, and I would eat it. I would eat something, and I would, or I would taste something. Wow. And I would touch it. I'd use senses different types of skills sets to, to try to get this thing into my skull. Uh, that worked pretty well, but that's just, there's just, there's a, there's other techniques I use. Though. <laughs> and so did you, you know, do further learning at age 18 or like while you were serving or after serving, how did those two things happen? Yeah, I joined the military when I was 17. I wasn't, so I was still in high school. I was, I was a junior in high school when I rose my, right hand to defend the country. Um, I went into the National Guard, the reserves, but I nearly got kicked out at the age of 17 I, I, because I couldn't drink the water uh, that was coming through that fire hose. It was just too much. And, uh, but no, it, it, well, the, well, what, what happened at the age of 17 is they, they sent, since I couldn't learn well, I was in basic training, the very basic part, uh, the boot camp. The, that's where you hear the movies and the, everybody's screaming and yelling and you got to do everything. And I wasn't adjusting to that very, very well uh, at all. And so they, they identified me to kick. So they sent me to uh, a scared straight program. It's, it was a criminal confinement facility with a different level of hell than just the normal army it was more of a like beat the hell out of this person to get this you know either to break them or to or to make them it was 1983 it was a fort sill oklahoma it was at a criminal confinement facility i was only there for about four hours i think but it was hell on wheels and um i come back after that one all beaten up and bloodied and uh 
it didn't break me. It sort of strengthened me a little bit and probably made me a little bit crazy as well. But I, I did well. I, I, I did graduate from basic training and I went on and and I, and I, I, I had to learn how to uh, get around these situations. Uh, learning uh, it took more time. Uh, there's just lots of different things I had to do, but that's kind of where it all started. <laughs> when I come back from that facility, uh, everybody saw a big change in me. Um, but going through hell would probably do that to many people. Yeah. Right, definitely. So then what was your Army experience like? You were in service for 31 years. So can you share some of the things you went through, saw, and experienced? Yeah, 31 years overseas. Well, 31 years in the military, but there was nine years overseas. I mean, we talked about the college degrees that I have, but I learned much more overseas than I did in any type of college. I, uh, the, the, the food, the, the people, the culture, the language, just driving it, seeing it, smelling it, and being there. I, I, could, I could identify, I did well overseas. I enjoyed overseas type, uh, I mean, um, that, was, that was a huge part. Nine years overseas uh, in various countries, five different countries, uh, Canada, El Salvador, twice in El Salvador, Korea, three different times, and then Afghanistan and Germany. So I've de- and those were just the countries I put in my book. I've been to other countries, but uh, I don't put it in the book. But uh, I've been around the world, and uh, so, uh, but that's just kind of a synopsis of just various stories and fiascos. I think I like a lot of these memoirs. Uh, it, this one's set up a little. This is about the mo- the emotions of life, and just going through the various dips and highs. Mostly they were dips and bad things, but uh, just going through those experiences. I think that's what it sets it up a little differently. Right. So can you share um, some of those kind of like cultural moments that you experienced in some of these countries that you served in? Well, I mean, Korean food is my favorite food. Um, the fermented cabbages and the kimchi is called kimchi. It's a fermented cabbage. Um, uh, you, if you want the good kimchi, you don't go to your regular grocery, grocery store. You go to where the Koreans are at. And so that is uh, something I'm all, uh, uh, that changed my taste. It changed my taste buds. Literally, if I go without the kimchi, the fermented cabbage or the cucumbers or the turnip greens, uh, if I don't have it, uh, which I normally do have it, but if I go without it, um, I'm usually care- I'm looking for peppers or garlic or onions to, to modify that. But no, it, that's just the thing about the taste that changed. Um, uh, just your eyes open wider a little bit and you see different things and, uh, it, it's just it's one heck of an experience to, 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 and I'm not talking about going to Mexico and living at the Marriott. And I, so, I mean, yeah, you can go to Mexico, you can go to Cancun and live. At, that's not the culture. I'm talking about when you're living out there with the folks, the local folks. And that's where I'm talking about. You're tasting it, you're living it, you're driving it, you're, um, you're eating it and you're there with them. <laughs> that would be uh, one of them. Um, so one of the experiences that's very hard to describe. I think it's not a vacation. It's where you live for a while. Yeah. And so then were you typically integrated with the locals or were you also kind of like on army territory with your fellow soldiers? I did both. Um, I, um, I would purposely go outside and go drink and eat with the locals because that's where I felt very, very, very much at home. Now, I, I described I had a learning disability, and I felt challenged, and I felt very different in America where people could pick it up. 
But when I went overseas, they don't speak. There's, they understand that you're a foreigner. And I just felt very confident. I felt that they didn't, I, I, it's not, I felt that I was a blind, a blind in a place and uh, that they, they understand that I was different because I am different. I'm, I'm white. I speak English. I, I have a different, we have different mannerisms. We walk different, we dress different, but they understand that. And they just accepted that. Well, he's a foreigner. Well, he's all, he's good with us. And so uh, that like boosted my confidence and I did really well overseas and various countries and cultures. And uh, no, I, yeah, I, 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 one time uh, I got this high level award from the Pentagon. That's a Pentagon's like this big puzzle palace that's in Washington, DC. Uh, that's where all the generals and people, I don't like to go there. <laughs> it kind of scares me with all those people there, but uh, that, they gave me this high level award just for just going out with the locals and doing community relations. Uh, I went hiking and bike, not biking. I went hiking with them, eating, fishing with them, um, visiting orphanages. And just, I just, I built up a liaison, a, a group of friends and we went out and we did things and they, uh, uh, they put pictures in the paper and they thought it was cool. And they thought, wow, this you I, I didn't do anything though, but it was a really high level award from the Pentagon. And I, I felt that I didn't do anything. It's just like, the, and I, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I was just out drinking and eating with them and doing what I do naturally. And they want to give me some big award there at the Pentagon. And uh, yeah, I was scared to go to the Pentagon. <laughs> so I'd rather jump out of a perfectly good airplane than jump out than go into the Pentagon because it's just, I don't know, it's just a different environment there. But no, that was just one of them. We're going out with the locals and gotten a high level award for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So were language barriers ever an issue in these different countries? At the time, we did not have something called Google Translate. So Google Translate is a service that's it's online. I didn't have that. But what I did was um, I had to learn to uh, talk slowly, or I could write it down a sheet of paper and write it down. And especially in Korea, they would understand English. A lot of, a lot of people can read it. They just can't speak it. And or if you do speak it, you speak it very slowly or I got around or anybody who's in a transit center like a bus station or maybe an airport. um, They're higher educated and they kind of understand the foreigners that come through. I got around. I did. I got around and uh, I enjoyed getting around. And so um, that was fun, though. A lot of people look at this as well. How did you go over here and do this specifically because you don't speak English? I don't know. I, I got around well. I, I, I just, I, I was creative. Now, like I said, uh, I'm pretty creative now because <laughs> you have to be if you get the lowest SAT scores. And so I became creative and I, I could find ways around that. And that. That spoke to my nature of just being a free, free thinker, a free uh, which doesn't always get along in the army, but I became a free thinker in, in many ways because I, I was just kind of moving around the, the the disability. I don't like shouldn't be called a disability, but it was a problem problem learner. Yeah. And so then you mentioned that you know being overseas, you know, boosted your confidence. You felt comfortable. You felt good. What was your experience like when you were serving in the states? Oh, that's where you're, yeah, it was more boredom to me. Um, I just like, oh, well, I'm back in the States. I'm away from the, all the excitement and things and, and the various, you know, just more rules and regulations. And I don't know, you're, you're around, the, you don't want to be around the flagpole or the headquarters and things like that. I want to be away from them. I don't want to get in trouble with those guys. But it was, I mean, but 
I did serve honorably. I, I didn't get uh, thrown out of the military. I, I've almost gotten thrown out a few times, but I, I, I did serve honorably. I just had to, um, I just preferred, <laughs> I preferred to, hindsight 2020, I would probably be a foreign area office, someone who would be a foreign area officer, someone who'd be specialized in another country and live there and be the officer there and the expert. But no, I did, I did fine overall. I mean, I had a, see the story is there's a lot of hiccups and I think a lot of people have done it. That's the hard part about you got to tell your screw ups. And, um, there was, there was many. <laughs> and so then, you know, before we even were recording, talking about your title of Lieutenant Colonel. So how did you work your way from, you know, age 17 joining to, uh, that, that ranking? Yeah, that's again, you're asking the same question that uh, basically everybody asks. And that's how I wrote the. That's the same type of thing. How did you do this? And how did that happen? Um, well, when I joined, I didn't really think I was going to stay in for that long. I just wanted a place to belong. Uh, I definitely was not college bound. I, that was not that was told to me. That was proved to me. And they had good logic to think and to expect that I was not going to to college. So the military was an option. So at age 17, I just moved up from uh, enlisted. And then I eventually, uh, I went to a, everything was from the bottom, not only as age 17 is at the bottom as a rank, uh, that's the earliest you can get in. But even my college was at the bottom. Uh, I went to a junior college at that, they could take lame, lazy or crazy. So how did you get into college? Because you've got to have a college degree to get into a, a senior executive position. So I went from the bottom junior college where they take about anybody, <laughs> anybody. And uh, then I, I transferred into a, a more reputable university. I took my time with my college. I had to, I have a chat. Uh, so I had a chat, but then I just, oh, well, if I went through that confinement facility where they almost beat the hell out of me, I can probably stay in a library 13 hours and just look at something and try it's air conditioned library and you can order pizza and things like that. And so I thought that I could do, uh, my, my, when I came out of that basic training, my confidence was built up and I said, well, I can pretty much do everything. I can pretty much do anything. And, and I, and I disagreed with the high school counselors and the people who said I couldn't do it because you don't know what the hell I just went through. And so, uh, and I couldn't explain it at the time. I couldn't explain what the hell I went through. I couldn't explain it like I'm doing right now. Um, and so I said, well, I'm going to go against, I'm going to go against the system. I'm going to college. It might be a junior college, but it, it was a junior. And then I would just work my way out. And I didn't tell people I was uh, going to be an officer. I decided I was going to be an officer. And, uh, and I just worked my way slowly, methodically up the ladder um, with a lot of, a lot of various issues along the way. And so whenever time I got into trouble or things of that happened, I would just look at it as just another obstacle because we talked about the learning disability. There was some in my life, failure uh, and pain were brought to me as a young child. I ha So to me, failure and pain and fiascos were just sort of the territory of life. And so I, I, I had osteomyelitis, which was a bone disease when I was nine years old. It, my, my, so I'm right now I'm at the age of 57, but my left knee is at the age of probably 49 or so because it dissolved. It went away and it grew back. But I lied. I, I told the military, no, I'm all good. I'm all good. And back then it was before the Internet. And so uh, they said, oh, OK, you're good. I said, yeah. Now, uh, when I'm, I'm, we're talking about these test scores. 
the question would be, how in the world, a good question would be, how in the world, if you had, how could you join the Army? Because you have to go through an entrance test. An entrance test to the military is called, it's it's ASFAB, I forgot what it stands for, but that's a good question. I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know how I got in. I really don't. Maybe it was just, I don't know, good old boy system. I don't know what it was. Um, I, I, that right there, I wish I could find my, my, at my entrance test to the military because I shouldn't have gone in probably, uh, I don't think I did well on the interest test because it sort of mimics the SAT scores, which I know were really bad. And so that is a question I cannot answer. And I try to, I think about that every once in a while. And so did your knee and, you know, this bone disease ever cause you problems throughout your service? Because you, you did weasel your way in, uh, but mm-hmm. then did it, it cause problems down the line? Only a little bit when I, when I ruck march for long, long hours at a time. But see, I learned that you've got hamstring muscles, you've got your thighs, there's, two, there's different parts of the muscle of the knees or of the legs. And I became a gym rat. In other words, I kept on working out and I became, uh, I did, uh, I did the leg lifts and the, the, the hamstrings and, and I did the, and, and so I built up the muscles around the knee where it wouldn't affect me. And of course we're always in the military, we're physical anyway. So, but I, I would work on that. And it, it affected me one or two times, uh, but it wasn't anything that was dis, dis, uh, considered a, a severe disability. And even if it was, I would lie and say, <laughs> so. I, but, uh, I, but no, it never really was a, a factor uh, other than just some minor complications. That's when I walked with heavy packs for long periods of time. Right. Now, you mentioned some various low points um, throughout your time serving. Would you be willing to share kind of some of those moments and, you know, maybe like almost getting kicked out to eventually being um, not kicked out and and serving honorably? Okay, so hmm. we talked about one kick out, which was the criminal confinement facility. That's when they they almost kicked me out there. I survived. But we'll go to another one. This other one is, oh, okay. So there's something, there's some kick outs that were my fault. Um, and some were not, let's go. Um, so I was under a federal investigation for subversion and espionage against the U S government, which was totally bogus. Now, um, it's, that's described in my chapter called third times a charm. And, uh, I describe it in detail of what happened, but it's, so a federal investigation is nothing good. It's, uh, that means you're, there's been rumors that you're well at the, so I didn't walk the walk of a group. You ever, you've heard of the term being ghostlighted, or maybe there's a term called being thrown under the bus, or maybe you're with a group of people. It could be a bunch of teen. I always think of it as teenage girls, but I don't. It could be boys as well, where you're a little different, and uh, we want to eject you out of the club. Uh, but at the time, which was strange about it, I had a whole lot of awards when this happened. And I had a whole lot of accommodations, and I was a senior person. And, well, I pissed some people off. Uh, not, it was just professionally. I, I disagreed with a lot of things that, that, that my job should be and their job should be. But it wasn't taken the correct way, and therefore they wanted to uh, huh, ghost like me. Ghost, so I didn't know. It took me. It was the hardest chapter to write because it goes to the bottom. So, um, so I've done, I, 
<laughs> with the federal investigation of so there's these hotlines, there's these these channels that they have. So you can you can put things anonymously in there. Like maybe someone's doing sexual deviant behavior. Maybe somebody's stealing things or con- conducting fraud against the U.S. government. Maybe someone, like they said with me, I'm selling secrets. <laughs> so so they can throw these accusations out there. Not well. There's a, there was a few. There's other. This chapter, I'm just looking at one example. There were many other things that happened there. But um, with this example here, uh, it was sent through the Criminal Investigation Division and the Military Intelligence. Uh, Maybe Jason's out there doing really bad things against the U.S. government that's considered subversion. And so I was brought on charges. I went up. I was in South Korea, third time's a charm, South Korea. I went up there to the hill, Dragon Hill, uh, from Dragon Hill there. And I met CID and I met MI, CID, a criminal investigation division and military intelligence. I was in one room. My big commander was in the other room. And here I am being briefed on the situation at hand and what my options are. And my commander is also being briefed by CID. It was a bad, this is like when you're in big trouble. And uh, I thought, wow, how in the hell? Like I didn't do a damn thing. I really didn't do anything. But no, you, need, you do you want to get a lawyer and a defense attorney? I said, yeah, I want to get a defense attorney. He says, well, we believe that you've been, you know, doing things that are bad. Okay. All right. No, this is total crap. This is total bullshit. And it was. But at the time, I took it seriously. It was really bad. Um, I, and so uh, I got the defense attorney and, and they, they briefed me on the situation saying they're, they're, they're just following uh, accusations and their job is to figure out if you're doing bad things against the U.S. government. And the, I, they followed me around. They they pooped and snooped on me and things of that nature for uh, for some time that while I was there, probably over two years, and it was stressful. And, you know, you know, I, I, for your viewers out there, you know, like, you know, if someone accuses you of something or they say something in a rumor mill, right, that's hurtful. But when it's officially through channels and you've got serious professional organizations that are out there trying to hound you. That's another situation. So when someone talks about an investigation, like a lot of people think, well, they don't understand what it really means, but it, it turns people. Well, I, I don't like the television when they say this guy is going through an investigation and everything's fine. Well, that's bullshit because it's not fine <laughs> because a lot of these investigations are just false bullshit. Is what, and that, like it was me. You can say things and you can say, well, innuendo and rumor, but, you know, I think, and he, he even told me, he tried to, the CID guy, uh, he, when he, when I came out of that briefing room, he, he knew I was under stress and I wanted to kick some people's ass. And, uh, he said, he put his hand on my shoulder and tapped me and says, try, he tried to give me a hint. He says, try not to let this bother you. And I, no, this does bother me. How in the hell can it not bother me? And, um, so, but no, and, uh, and, um, Another, I saw that guy just by accident, just on a, on a post after I had retired. And I said, I told him, I says, what the hell happened with that damn investigation? Why don't nobody, no one told me they were sorry and they screwed up. He says, he says, you know, we have to do our jobs when we get information and I'm glad everything worked out for you. And I was like, damn, why not? But you can ghostlight people or screw them up officially through these Hotlines. Uh, oh, call this hotline if you detect somebody who's doing this 
And you could play games with those damn hotlines. And that's what they did with me. They just played the damn game. There was nothing there. There was nothing there. And so, uh, but it can turn your ups, you can turn your life upside down. Granted, I maybe professionally, I, I, I didn't, there's some people I, I, t- I told them I, my job, I, this is my job and not, but you know, everybody's different. Everybody has a different perspective, but that doesn't mean that you need to be ghost lighted and try to, and get, and, and, and your reputation goes to hell and your, 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 your security, uh, your security clearance is challenged and you have to go through all this crap because of maybe someone doesn't agree with something or maybe someone doesn't like you. You know, that's to me, that's a really that was pretty hideous. Um, there were other things in that story um, I'm not prepared to talk about, but it's in the third time's a charm uh, that was there. It was ghost like when one when one thing didn't like that thing didn't stick. Right. They would have another event and there would be another event. And uh, so in a way, I look at those perpetrators of this as sort of creative, kind of like I would be like. I would, how can you get a senior person in the government out? How can you transfer the trash? How can you pass the trash? You prospect, there's ways to do that. And I didn't know it until it was thrown on me, you know? And uh, these are sort of very mean things that happen sometimes that are not written about too well uh, and not talked about that much. Right. And definitely challenging and, and having to go through all of that. So now, why did you end up leaving the military and retiring? Oh, I was, I had met my 20 years. You can retire at the 20 year. I did more than 20 years, but once you hit 20, that's your magic number. But I was pretty burned out. I had done the, uh, so that federal investigation was late in the game. More, there's more to it. That, that chapter, but uh, and then I my father's death occurred, and then I went to Afghanistan. Now I had been burned out. I had one, two, three punch in a in a relatively quick amount of time. The biggest punch was the uh, false allegations of not just a federal investigation, but other things. And then my dad's death. When my dad was dying, um, I was going to go to Afghanistan, and I was in the process of going to Afghanistan to get a unit over there. I was not in a good mindset. Let's just put it that way. My book is dedicated to my father. And so um, I went to Afghanistan under less than best mental conditions because of the past. So I was trained for war, but I wasn't trained for federal investigations and false allegations. And I wasn't never trained for my dad's death. I'm a slow processor anyway. And so it hit me pretty well. War, I've been, you know, we, that's all we do is train for war and we train for combat and things of that nature. So that, that was okay. But those two other things had done, I, I was walking into a war zone kind of like, almost like my gut was busted. And so um, that's, and then once I got out of Afghanistan, I did really well, I did well in war. Um, uh, I was burned. And I said, well, i got to retire. I, I took one more assignment in Germany before I retired, but um I was pretty much burned down. Yeah. Yeah. And and to go through your dad's death after an intense investigation and and then going to war. Now, since retiring, you know, you've obviously written this book, got a lot of good information in it. What else have you been up to since retiring from service? 
When I retired from service, I went on a lot of veterans retreats and little skiing places, skiing and hanging out with veterans. There's a whole lot of activities for disabled veterans and uh, disabled doesn't mean you're disabled, but you can't work. So, and then I did that for a while and did a lot of activities with them. And then I went to work once COVID hit, everybody was locked down and couldn't do anything. And I decided I was going to, I was going to go back into the military because they wanted a lot of the military officers to come back. But that gate was closed because there were just too many other retired military people wanting to go support the COVID effort the, and uh, coronavirus. So I looked at the website. I wouldn't. I was bored, and there was nothing to do. I couldn't even go to the gym or anything. Can't go anywhere. And I said, "Well, I looked at the website USA Jobs, and I got a job with the Centers for Disease Control out of Atlanta, Georgia, as a teleworker." I said, "Well, all these people are sitting at home on a remote computer making eighty thousand a year." I said, "I can do that too." So I applied for. It was took me one hundred thirty eight applications, but I got three that said yes, and I took the first one. So, uh, so again, uh, I machine gunned a machine gun approach to the applications and you took, you took 138 applications. I, I made a mistake. I even applied to be a police officer in Greenland by mistake, but I was just shooting them out. I just shooting them out of everybody. Anybody take anybody. And, uh, they did that. The first one that came through, it was probably over a hundred at that time. I, I just took it. I took the first one and, uh, I just stayed at home, crunched numbers. I was on the global rapid reaction force, uh, for COVID and, various other diseases that occur in the United States. And, uh, well, that kind of got old a little bit. And I said, well, I'm going to get out of here and just publish my book. And that's what I did. I went and got my book. My book had been under, you know, I'd been working on it for a while, but now this is when I'm going to publish my book and go into podcasts. So now I've got my book published and I'm just promoting it. And I'm these stories, these crazy stories, it's, it's audible as well. So <clears throat> if you were to talk to me a year ago, you would not see me talking the way I am now. I did, I did the audio. I'm the I'm the author and the narrator of this book, and so my audio took lots and lots of times. Take ten, take a hundred, take thirty. And I was I was I talked more last year than I ever did in my entire life, all combined. Now this year might be <laughs> that might be a but because I'm doing the podcast, but. The expression, we're not trained to express ourselves, uh, and I'm not. I was not at all, And uh, but I learned how to do that, uh, and uh, even at the age of 56, 57, I learned how to do that, and then uh, I said, well, I'll, since I've done all this work, I'll just continue my stories on these podcasts to promote the book. In the future, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm working on a song. Uh, I've got. A, I'm. A, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm working on. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not. A, and I'm not a musician. I'm not. A, I'm not really a writer or English. I'm, I'm an author, but but I'm not a singer. But uh, I, I got a website where someone can help me create a song about my book. So I don't know. There's all these little ideas, creativity. Uh, in the army, they don't. You don't get too much creativity. You do as you're told. But now I'm working on a different level of creativity, and uh, so. That's kind of what I've done after retirement and kind of what I'm thinking about in the future. And are you still connected with other veterans and those sort of things that you were doing right after retirement? Yeah, I just got back from uh, Colorado. Uh, So uh, the Disabled American Veterans, they sponsor the Winter Sports Clinic in Aspen, Colorado. And I was there with the veterans skiing you can ski, you can snowmobile, you can go uh, fishing for trout. Uh, there's a lot of various events you got. That's considered therapy, and it's it's a part of your medical. It's a to get outdoors and do things. And 
that's that's so they they support the veterans with that. And I'm a sponsor. I'm a philanthropist as well. I give a lot to uh, these organizations, um, various colleges and various. Uh, I did well financially, and uh, I do give a lot. I gave to the, the to the disabled American veterans. I was a sponsor there, and and other places I do. Uh, but and I follow them, and uh, whenever they want to go out and do something, I'm usually you know, going with them as well. As long as I got a Wi-Fi set up because I have a pretty heavy podcasting uh, schedule going on. So, uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of, I still, I still connect with them and uh, keep up with them. Yeah. It's fun. fun. Yeah. And so you mentioned kind of the struggles with narrating the book, which would have been done after the book was written. Um, and you've talked about how English was, you know, not the best uh, in grade school, so what was the writing process like for you and, and getting everything into this book? Yes, that's a good question. <laughs> I got a loaded answer for that one. Um, so the book in my pages, you could probably read it for free because I think it's in Kindle. I think the first few pages of the testimony of my book, it, this book, the process of the book nearly killed me because it's not only that I'm, you know, English is my worst subject. It's, it's it's not that as well as it's common. When I when you see a life that's written down, and if you're honest with yourself, and you see all the mistakes and the screw ups and the failures and the fiascos, and when you see this formed into a story, and then you're thinking, well, am, do I really do do I really want to put this out there? Uh, it sort of breaks you up. It sort of I don't I can't describe the emotions. It just it flashbacks are just crazy. Like how in the world can I get through this? This is a hard struggle. I went into the hospital. I nearly died. It was in February, 2021. And it wasn't because of the, it was not because of the COVID that was going around. It was because of the damn book. And um, what happened was I was sitting for long hours, not normally exercising like I used to. And I was sitting and I was stressing, having flashbacks and that caused blood clots. It, it went through my le- blood clots were in my lungs and my legs. I don't know why it didn't go to my brain and kill me, but I was scheduled to die. I went to the ICU, the intensive care unit. And at the time they kept asking me, are you a smoker? Are you a smoker? I kept, I, I kept answering the same question. No, everyone would ask. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. And so at the time that I don't, I, well, okay. Well, I, I, well, they're, they're there, and you're you're pretty the obituary, and then my uh, end of life things like where the cemetery, the VA cemetery, going to be. Uh, you know, I, we pretty much knew that it was going to be the end, and uh, because of the process of this book and what it how it affected me. Um, but what happened was, and I surprised again. You asked the question, "How did you?" The doctors didn't understand, so I, I came back to life. In other words, my body reacted to the blood thinners and to the hep it was heparin blood thinners i also got you pneumonia i got pneumonia as well there so i had i had a, i had a triple whammy i had blood clots i had pneumonia and you know that's not usually a good thing just just having pneumonia and but the, the antibiotics worked and they moved me out of the icu and went to the lower level and um but no uh yeah i i, I that, 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 and it was because of the damn uh, book. But again, it goes back. And I told my ghostwriter during this process, I was still able to think, uh, I had oxygen on me. And I, I told my ghostwriter, 
get this damn book published because this damn thing's almost killed me. And I says, I want you to continue. And uh, but that never happened. And he says, you're going to he says, Moss, all right. I says, all right. So, so we just get the damn thing. If this is if this book, if the book is going to kill me, I, I want it to be published. You've got to let me know that before I die. But that didn't happen. It didn't happen. And uh, but no, the process was hell. Put it that way. Uh, so that's the process was hell i don't know if i would do it again (laughs) i don't know if i would do this again but it's since it's done i'm doing much better on these podcasts than i did writing the book and almost getting killed by the book that was just one event uh, in the book that was very serious i got written down i did have anxiety attacks which i consider i consider an anxiety attack nothing compared to the going into the icu uh stuff like that so (laughs) so, right Now, would you be willing to share a little bit about what it was like working with a ghostwriter? Okay, so, yeah, that's cool. And so, ghostwriter, I can tell you the whole process of how I did everything. I have no problem with that. But, um, so, I, I had a story. I, I, I had a, so what I did is I went to a website called Up, Upwork. Upwork is a website for online activity. It could be you want to hire somebody for this or that, resumes or spreadsheets and a, I just started shopping around on Upwork, the website. And, um, I, you know, if I'm going to, there's a lot of authors that were very interested in my memoir when I put the description out there. And so I had to, I got, I had to go through a bidding process and, you know, find out who, who would be good. Cause you're going to unload your entire crazy life on someone who's going to, that's a very important. So uh, you're going to unload everything on that. So I didn't, there's a lot of female writers uh, that were out there. What I talked to, but, I'm going to be talking about a lot of dude stuff, a lot of guy stuff. And I, I don't, you know, uh, so I'm going to, I felt comfortable with someone who had lived overseas, someone who was a guy and someone, I mean, I don't know. Again, you know, I, I'm not a writer. I just walking off from the dark blue, just like I'm doing this podcasting. I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. I just wanted to do it. And I don't, and that's, and that's how I found the ghostwriter. And um, as somebody who's a, someone who's a storyteller. I mean, I think even if you could write, I don't think you ought to. I think you ought to have somebody help you out with it because if you've lived a storied life, it's going to be emotional, and 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 it really would be have someone that's an objective person to take a look and take another look at this thing. So that's the process of getting the, the ghostwriter, and then having that ghostwriter try to understand your your culture, where you came from, and and break down the language and the lingo of wherever you're at to someone our, our goal was to put it into the hands of someone who never been in the military, never maybe even lived in the South in the Southern United States. And that we wanted in a very simple uh, storytelling way, as if you're sitting on a porch or where, and just talking or in a bar talking to your who loved one or someone who's close to you. That's how we put it together. Yeah. yeah and I think, you know, kind of that process of figuring out who, who to have, um, you know, being that primary writer makes sense and kind of how you were going to have to be vulnerable and, and sharing those details. Now, was it a process then when you like, did you end up kind of like reading through it and making suggestions and, and changing things like that, like in the opposite sort of way that an editor would do? Yes, uh, we did. Yeah, we did that. Um, that was it's just it, it, again, it's just so hard to look, even to this day for me to look at some of this stuff is really hard for me. 
that was hard. So when the ghostwriter says, well, what do you think about this chapter? Can you read through it? To me, that was a Herculean task, even though it was my life. Uh, to, for me to just, and it was written, and it was just a hard task to do. Uh, that, uh, I, I, I got some other people to help me out as well. We got, just, I don't have just a ghostwriter, but I had a, I had a nephew that helped me out. And um, so, yeah, that was really, it was difficult. I'm going to tell you what helped my book. Uh, if you're a writer out there, I'm going to tell you what helped my book. Um, so after it was considered done about last year, well, it, the, we had the manuscript done. It was pretty much ready for publication, but I had the bright idea, the dumb idea or whatever to do an audio book. Someone, someone said, hey, you ought to do an audio book. It'll give you credibility. And I really wanted credibility. I wanted to know that you know that this is coming from the horse's mouth as well as the writing. And I said, well, I'll do an audio book. I've never done an audio book before. I, I don't know anything about audio books. I never knew how to hire a writer. So, well, my, my ghostwriter, he happened to have done audio books. He says, well, let's get on this system called Audacity and you will read into it and you'll send me over these files and you will, you know, just, and when I went through the manuscript, reading through it, that was, I considered done all this other crap pop, all these other stories and stuff popped into my mind. And I said, I forgot about this. He says, when that happens to you, just unload into it. And I'm going to adjust the manuscript that we thought was done. So when I started reading through it, I started thinking, oh my God, over here. Oh my God, over there. And, I, and he says, just when that happens, just go into it, just free flow it out of your mouth. I'm going to capture it and I'll adjust the manuscript. I said, damn. And that was something we just did. I'd I don't know if it's in, he says, he says, I, I don't know. I'm not a writer, but that's just something that happened with me. And so we got even more stories and crazy stuff that added to the themes of the story was so survival, inspiration and persistence and just doing crazy things. And so uh, that helped make the story even better by going through the audiobook, which uh, so by, by going through the audiobook, it added to a lot of the material and it was um, it was a hell of a, it was, it was something else that we, we both didn't know that was going to happen, uh, you know, that, that just popped in there, you know? Yeah. It's a true testimony to the wanting it to come, you know, from you, from the horse's mouth to just have that free flowing work like that. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? Oh, you can, uh, the best thing, the most honorable thing for me is just to have a simple review. Heard his book, heard about it. You don't have to have to read it. Just put a review out there on Amazon or J go to jasonpike.org, jasonpike.org. And just give me a good thumbs up anywhere, good review or whatever, or five star me. And that just helps me out because, you know, I'm out, I'm on podcast now and I, I, I don't, they just, they tell me that I need reviews, I guess. These days, everybody needs reviews. That's about it. Really, just go there and take a look at it or, or not or recommend it to someone else. And uh, I mean, in, 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 and that's OK. You can look at these podcasts and uh, you can get inspiration and stories from that. But that's basically I've got a lot of stories. I could I could really talk on so many different things, but you've got a whole lot already. Yeah. Great. And I'll make sure, of course, to leave your website uh, in the description of this episode. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question that doesn't have to do with anything we've talked about. 
So my question for you today is what cartoon character would you like to hang out with? Hmm. That's a cartoon character. Oh. Oh, let's see here. That's a good one. Oh, cartoon character. It's been a while since I've seen cartoons. I've always enjoyed Bugs Bunny, just uh, the Bugs Bunny, the rabbit, uh, running around and doing crazy things. And uh, that was uh, that would be the Bugs Bunny rabbit. Yeah, that's that's. And uh, I just enjoyed that show when I was a kid. Yeah. All right, that brings this episode to a close. As I mentioned, I will be leaving Jason's website in the description of this episode. Along with that will be a link directly to his book on Amazon if you'd like to go check it out or leave a review. And I'll also be leaving some social media links for Jason. He is on LinkedIn and Facebook, so feel free to go connect with him there. And of course, if you would like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. It brings you to all of our social media. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. So I always appreciate uh, getting follows on those pages. So feel free to connect with me. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show and share your own story, my email is there as well. So feel free to reach out. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, Jason, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye. Bye, Sarah.